Welcome to the podcast. In and Through exists to equip the church to be hearers and doers of the word. My name is Tim, and I'm the lead pastor of Memorial Baptist Church, Stratford, Ontario. And my name is Marshall, and I am Tim's associate. How's it going, Tim? Doing all right. Doing all right. How about you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the sun is shining. doesn't want to shine on Sundays for us, but <laughs> likes to shine on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, so we'll take it when we get it, I suppose. Yeah, if you listen to this and you're not a part of uh, Memorial, we're having our meetings outside and loving it, mm-hmm. um, but it rains on Sundays. Yeah. Maybe amongst those people who don't like the outdoor service is uh, God himself. It, it makes the name <laughs> Sunday just that much more Ooh. painful. Right? Ooh. <laughs> Punny. <laughs> Sorry. Nice. You are a father. I am. I'm working on the dad jokes. I'm still a rookie, but I'm getting there. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So here we are. We just finished up Jeremiah, which, by the way, in finishing it up, learned an amazing fact. What's that? That Jeremiah is actually the longest book of the Bible. What? Not Psalms. Wow. Uh, If you take the original languages, Mm -hmm. I had it brought up on my computer Mm -hmm. and left my computer in my office. So this is me winging it. Okay. If you take the original language uh, and you count the number of words, it is... uh, significantly longer than Psalm. Wow. Which is only the second largest book of the Bible. Oh, no, third. 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 There are two others ahead of it. Okay. Yeah. So uh, Jeremiah, Mm -hmm. then Isaiah, Mm -hmm. Psalm, and Ezekiel. Wow. I do believe. Yeah. Or Genesis and Exodus probably. Genesis and Exodus are way up there too. They're in there too. Yeah. You know what? We're just going to have to Google that. (laughs) (laughs) The listener, if the listener really cares. Yeah. You can Google it. It was long, although it didn't, like, I mean, it, at times it felt long, but, I mean, we worked our way through. There were, you know, there were sprinklings of other texts in the midst of it, mm-hmm. but Ezekiel, we're going through this thing. Straight shot. Yeah. Two weeks, I think. Two weeks. Yeah. Just straight through Ezekiel. Yeah. And Ezekiel is, uh, especially this first part of Ezekiel, is uh, interesting. It, yeah, it's, it, there's, there's some yeah, definitely some interesting stuff. Some stuff worth, ta- worth talking about. For sure. Yeah, and that's why today I got fat stacks. Look at all these. If, like a pastor with fat stacks. For these, of for books. the listeners, yeah. Fat stacks of books. Tim's got a pile of very thick books. Usually it's my computer, my tablet, and then a Bible. Mm. This time, or my tablet is generally the Bible I'm using. This time I got study Bibles and commentaries, and I forgot my computer. But I'm ready to go. It's okay. I got a computer. I got a computer and a cup of coffee. That's what I need. That's all you need. <laughs> That's all I need. All right. So, Ezekiel. I Before we even get into this week's reading, mm-hmm. I, I wanted to bring something from the new, uh, the NIV application commentary. Okay. This is a fantastic commentary series. Has been for decades. Uh, and... and the purpose of this commentary is, as its name suggests, to take scripture and not only comment on the scripture itself, but to bring in direct applications and modern significances. Um, which, when you read the first chapter of Ezekiel, is just like, all right, I want to see what you did here. <laughs> How are we going to apply this? Right, right. What does this mean to you uh, here and today? Uh, other than the fact that it is 
an inspired by God story mm-hmm. of how he disciplined his people. It's true. And his personage. Uh, but one of the things that I found particularly compelling from Mr. You want to read his name? Uh, Ian M. Deguid. Deguid. That's how you're going to go with it? Okay. I'm going to go Deguid. Um, so th- before he even gets into the commentary, he has a really useful thing talking about how this is exile text that we don't really m- spend a lot of time in. And the reason, his he argues, is that um, we like to think of Christian victory. So when it has to do with the exile... Uh, we might do the warnings at the beginning uh, through Isaiah and Jeremiah because also they come with promise of hope at the end. Yep. Uh, and so there's the Christian victory. Uh, we like the Exodus far more than we like the exile. True. Uh, and we'll grab things from Nehemiah because it's the rebuilding. Right. Uh, but to see ourselves as exiles, to see that we are strangers in a foreign land, and that we are not home, and everyone around us is significantly different. Mm. Mm-hmm. In his mind is the value of us giving ourselves to exile literature. Hmm. I like that. And uh, and so as we spend the next couple of weeks in exile literature, I thought I would uh, bring that little thought from Mr. Deguid. Deguid. <laughs> That's what I'm going with. Deguid. Deguid. It's easier to read the commentary than it is his name. <laughs> it's well written. That's good. That's good. Yeah, so so what's the uh what's the forest for this week, Tim? Ah, the forest. You will know that I am the Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Stated over and over again. Like it's like fifty times in the book. Right. It's a lot. Right. So so sometimes things happen and we think to ourselves, I wonder if that was the hand of God coincidence mm-hmm. or providence. Mm-hmm. Right. Was it was it just sort of like the general progressings of the way things are going to go in a providential manner? Mm. Um, was it coincidence? It just fell into place that way? Or was it an active hand of God? And throughout Ezekiel, God is very clear. Yeah, this is all me. This is me? Yeah. And in the end, you're going to know it. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, the purpose of all of this is so that you can remember I am who I am, right? Right. You will know mm. that I am the Lord. Nice, mm. nice. And when it, con- it when it's stated, it's so ominous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's not kind of it's not said at least, especially in this first half of Ezekiel where we are. It's not said in a very reassuring <laughs> way. Um, we might get a little bit of that towards the end of Ezekiel next week. Uh, but in, in this section, it's, yeah, it's it's ominous. For yeah, sure. it's not the sort of like, I will deliver you and you'll know that I'm the Lord. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like, I'm going to punch you in the mouth yeah so hard mm-hmm. that you're going to stagger backwards and go, that could only have been God. Mm-hmm. Only God could throw a punch like that. Yeah, I like that mm. analogy. I thought you would. That was just for you. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Tim. Yeah. All right. So the trees. Yeah, well, right out of the gate in Ezekiel, we get into some, we get into a vision mm-hmm. that Ezekiel has, right? Ezekiel is currently in exile. He's been taken out. So the 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 fall of Jerusalem hasn't really happened. They've been, they got 
beat by the Babylonians and the Babylonians took kind of the cream of the crop of the Israelites back to Babylon with them. And Ezekiel, as kind of a young up-and-comer in the priestly class, is among that group. And he's there, you know, sitting by this river in a foreign land. And all of a sudden, he gets this vision. Mm -hmm. And it's intense. Oh, it is. It is. Like, we're talking about—I I always love kind of reminding people that the, the idea, the picture that we have of angelic beings in our culture, like little babies with bows— like that is not Bling. that's not no. what we see here. These things are freaky. Yeah, freaky yeah. angels. The cherubim mm-hmm. are uh, have made another appearance. They have, and and so to describe them, uh, let me go to this particular Bible, uh, because Crossway's Gospel Transformation Study Bible mm-hmm. has a really so so this is what this Bible does. We've talked about it here before, and I've kind of explained it, but I don't expect that anyone remembers most of what I say. So let's do it again. Uh, the purpose of this Bible is not to give you study notes in the same way that a study Bible generally would. Just to be like, here's the historical significance, or this is what a shekel weighs, kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the purpose of this study Bible is to say, this is how the passage you are currently reading points to the hand of God at work mm. toward the gospel, right? So, so when you are reading and you're thinking, well, this seems so detached from what I know to be the truth of the gospel and the forecasting of, of the Christ to come, the Christ that was, or the theology looking back on the Christ uh, that that has gone and that we await a second return of. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this just feels like rhetoric in the middle. What does this have to do with right. the gospel? Uh, that's the question that this particular Bible answers, always pointing us to the hand of God at work throughout all of Scripture. Um, so I love this Bible. Yeah. For young believers, new believers, um, this is the one I give away because because it helps bring that uh, that clarity throughout all of Scripture in that way. Uh, and, and really, I use it all the time too. Um, it's really a good anchor for me when I'm doing sermon prep and stuff like that to right. uh, make sure everything comes back to the plan of God unfolding through Scripture. Mm. But this is what it has to say. Ezekiel first sees coming out of the fiery storm four living creatures, which are the attendants of God's throne. Each of the creatures has four faces that of a human, a lion, an ox, and an eagle. Those faces, according to this commentator, okay. not definitively, uh, but I think, I think wise, uh, represent the rulers of the various spheres of God's creation. The eagle is the greatest of the birds, the ox is the greatest of the domesticated animals, the lion is the greatest of the wild animals, and the human is the one given dominion over all. Hmm. Cool. All right. Fair. All right. Sure, sure. Why not? In the faces of the living creatures, all creation assembles to attend its creator. Mm. Ezekiel calls these four creatures cherubim, a Hebrew word identifying heavenly beings or messengers. The cherubim appear multiple times in the Bible, and their function seems to be to prevent anything unholy from entering the presence of God. Thus the cherubim guard the way to the tree of life after Abraham, after Adam and Eve sin. Hmm. 
They guard the mercy seat within the tabernacle in Exodus 25. And they match the description of those who stand before God's throne in the book of Revelation. These are the fearsome guardians of God's throne. And they remind us of the predicament we are we as unholy sinners are in unworthy to come into the presence of a holy God mm. and deeply in need of a savior to forgive us and make us righteous. Mm. Good. That's okay. a good, that's a good breakdown. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. 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 The, the, the language that's used right for this appearance of the Lord is holiness and his glory. Uh, there's like a heaviness to those words and those themes, right? And the the otherness of God is stressed, right? That that as Ezekiel is getting this vision, this being guarded by cherubim on this throne is unlike anything else. Mm-hmm. He 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 struggles to describe what it is that he's seeing, right? And then with these crazy beings, mm-hmm. as you would expect, are wheels. Yeah. Because, of course. And these wheels are uh, covered in eyes, as wheels are. Sure. Um, (laughs) A couple of commentators that I read on this uh, suggest that this is the representation of attributes of God. His omnipresence, because... Wheels travel, and these specifically travel without turning in any direction hmm. as they are afforded the opportunity to by the spirit and the and the beasts. Um, and that the eyes are the all-seeing nature of God. Hmm. So they go where they please, and they see all. That's that breakdown. Cool. Again, not explicitly laid out for us in Scripture, hmm. uh, so we won't call that on the authority of the word, but uh, works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Yep. And so the, the wheels and the beasts come in mm-hmm. not to do good, but to usher in harm on Israel mm-hmm. so that they will know that he is the Lord. Yeah. And so one of the things that we can really get caught up on in Ezekiel is the means over the message. Right. Uh, and so when it comes to the message, these are these are a couple of things that I saw in here, like now switching to the, the third book that I'm going <laughs> to grab from already in this episode. Uh, the story of the Redemption Bible has a little note in it. It says for all of this grandeur, but for all of the visual spectacle of the, that this vision offers, it's surprising to realize that Ezekiel holds out as the climax of it all the words. And I heard a voice of one speaking. Mm. That the spectacle of all of this going on in the beginning of chapter one is not the point. Mm. The point is that these things are bringing the word of God. And that's what matters. That's the climax of it all. And if we get all caught up in the beasts and the wheels and miss the message, then we miss the whole thing, Hmm. right? So if we're going to sit down and crunch and spend our time breaking down Ezekiel, the breakdown is in the message and not in the means. 
because Ezekiel's means for giving the message is um, interesting. It's strange. It is. If you're a visual learner, right, you would benefit from some of Ezekiel's teaching styles because he doesn't just uh, explain God's coming judgment. He displays it in uh, in what uh, <laughs> the Bible Project described as uh, street theater, which I thought it was, is, which I thought was interesting. Or like you said, object lessons. Object lessons, yeah. Right, that way every generation knows. That's right. right. That's even even let's have a little kids. This is like the kids sermon. So Isaiah is the you know just the regular sermon, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and the other prophets that come alongside him, mm-hmm. uh, and then maybe the kids message, uh, <laughs> the visual. You know, you sit down in the front and you do the little visual things with yeah. the kids. Oh yeah, um, that's Ezekiel's job. Yeah. So he makes he makes a little model of he the does. city of Jerusalem, a little Lego town. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and then kind of you know, sets up his little army men around it to display mm-hmm. how it's going to be destroyed. Right. That's, so that's lesson number one. And then he and then he kicks it to pieces. Yeah. Yeah. And then... Uh, which which you've got to look at and you've got to be like... So Ezekiel called to be a prophet of God, mm-hmm. takes that on. He's like, okay, this is big. This is heavy. Fine. What do you want me to do? Others have gone before me right. and I've seen their work. Moses. He's done some cool things. Elijah, Elisha, <laughs> Isaiah. What do I get to do, God? What's m- what's my task? <laughs> you're going to go out in the middle of town. Yeah. Build a sandcastle. You're going to build a sandcastle, and you're going to attack it with a little stick ramparts and <laughs> army men. That's right. <laughs> with everyone watching you. Yeah. So literally, he has to act as if he's, like, people have to be looking at him as if he's a lunatic. Sure. Yeah. Right? Like, kids don't get too close to him. Yeah. He's lost his mind. Yeah. And that's his charge. Yeah, but wait, there's more. <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not the weird part of his charge. <laughs> we not, haven't gotten there yet. That's not even the weirdest thing. <laughs> yeah, we're just get, the ball's just rolling. The wheel the wheel is just now rolling. Oh man! So he he's forced to lay on his side on the ground for a, over a year. Yep. I uh, you know on top of the city that he built, right? Right. Yes. He has yeah. to lay on his model city on his left side mm-hmm. for a little over a year. And then he's got to flip over to his right, do a little more. For 40 days. Yeah. And the obvious message of that is the destruction on Israel and then Judah. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the yeah the the purpose of the lesson isn't abundantly clear to me, but I'm sure it was there for, the, for those who were experiencing it. But not just his laying down. Like, there's more. Mm-hmm. That's true. So in chapter 4, it talks about the fact that they're going to be eating rations. Yep. They're going to be they're going to be to the point as has already been said that you know fathers will eat their sons sons will eat their fathers mm-hmm. right it's going to be that level of dismal and so the way that he has to show that they're going to be in economic struggle is that he has to eat his food in rations mm-hmm. drink his water in rations mm-hmm. in front of everyone mm-hmm. laying there on his side and instead of making food that would be tasty from things that are still available to him he has to make it out of what would be considered less than admirable ingredients for his bread mm-hmm. that would be the kinds of things you would just sort of glean and grab sure um and he's not able to find firewood no well 
he's actually told not to use firewood. Well, right. He's told not to use firewood because it will be so desolate that there will be no firewood available. Right. So how do you cook bread, Marshall, if you don't have firewood? I don't know. Poop? <laughs> Can I say poop on the podcast? <laughs> Is that going to get us pulled? Um, yeah, no, God God tells him you're going to you're going to cook this special meal uh, over human dung. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, let me let me let me nail this down. We we've, we've done this in a sermon before. Mm-hmm. Uh, but context matters. Yeah, it does. In our understanding of scripture. Mm-hmm. And people a lot of times will embarrass themselves when they use scripture out of context. Sometimes we justify it. Sometimes we're like, hey, just because it's out of context doesn't mean that it's not the word of God. Mm. Makes no sense to me. Right. Right? Um, but what if you were a company who named yourself, branded yourself entirely on scripture out of context? Like Ezekiel bread. <laughs> yeah. So if you look in the refrigerated section of your local grocery store yeah if it has like the health food section the health food section it's a fancy one right because because it's marketed as health food yeah there's ezekiel bread yeah and there is on the packaging the, reference the scripture reference to yeah. the scripture yeah so you can look and it's like ezekiel 4 6 and then you google it and like oh, oh yeah now that's exactly what it is and they're like this is god's recipe for bread <laughs> for the israelites and I just think, Ugh. were you in such a hurry? Yeah, you didn't read the following verse. That you didn't have opportunity to keep reading? <laughs> you're like, were you like, hey, we got to get this bread baked mm. and on the shelves now. Yeah. We don't have time to read this whole thing. Yeah. Just yeah. look it up and make the bread. But here's the thing, Tim. If it's not cooked over dung. It's not Ezekiel it's bread. It's not real Ezekiel bread. Right. So, I mean... And the funny thing is, like, people have been pointing this out forever. Right. And... It uh, doesn't stop It has gotten to the point that they, according to journalists, they don't even answer the, the question anymore. <laughs> um, but they can't change the name. Yeah. But it's not even about changing the name. Like, they'd have to change the recipe, which means, like, their whole... They would just have to be like, we yeah. quit. Yeah. I give up. <laughs> we quit. Point of the story, context is king. That's right. That's right. But Ezekiel oh. eats actual Ezekiel bread. Mm-hmm. He does for years. Yep, yep, for a little over a year. Yep. And the final object lesson is he's forced to cut his hair and his beard. Yep, and then chop at it with a sword. Right. So he measures it into three weights. Yep. The first mm-hmm. burns in the fire. Mm-hmm. The second, he throws it up in the air and chases it around town. Mm-hmm. Chopping it with a sword. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> the f- the first is just to show that there will be absolute destruction yeah, yeah. from God. The second is that there will be destruction by the sword. Mm-hmm. And then the last third, mm-hmm. he throws up into the wind and lets it scatter around mm-hmm. to show that they will be exiled. Yeah. But he takes a few hairs mm-hmm. and tucks them inside his clothes. Right. The remnant. The remnant. The remnant. I'm assuming. So, that's the means. Yeah. The message. The message landed for me like a bomb Mm. in Ezekiel chapter 6. Okay. Where in verse 11, he says, Thus says the Lord God, 
clap your hands, stomp your foot. So again, another little action for him to do. <laughs> Good Sunday school teacher. Clap your hands, stomp your foot, and say, alas. Mm. Wow. I like short, sort of like to-the-point things. And so everything that he has done to this point, everything that the prophets before him have said, his job is to just say, alas. Hmm. Hmm. And with that comes all of the consequence of everything that has been said to you before. Mm-hmm. Alas. Not alas, it has come. Not alas, it will come. You figure it out from here. Hmm. And so the story continues. Yeah. And Ezekiel gets this uh, vision, this ability to see what's going on back in Jerusalem. So, Because all of a sudden you start getting these scenes in like Ezekiel 7 and 8 about um, what is going on in the temple in Jerusalem. And unfortunately, what's going on there is absolutely atrocious. And so Ezekiel's getting kind of the inside scoop on why this destruction is going to be so terrible and and it's because there's rampant idolatry and you know going on in the midst of the temple by the leaders of of Judea and so he sees what's going on so God gives him the ability some insight to see just how bad the situation has deteriorated yeah yeah and so it's not great and he man when he when he shows them some of the things that they see and then he's like, but you haven't seen the last of it. Mm-hmm. Every time he's like, this is bad. There's more. But you're going to see worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's tough. And, and there's, a, there's a lot of reading this week. Yeah, there is. Uh, so let's not, we're not going to pretend like there's, you know, the first six to ten chapters, and then it picks up again in the middle. And No, there's, there's a long. But a lot of this reading is very similar to some of the other prophets. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what we want to do is we, we just want to point out sort of uh, – some of the highlights along the way, sure. Um, which means I think we need to jump to Ezekiel 16, sure, um, because we're already 25 plus minutes in, okay. <laughs> okay. and we're still like in chapter six. Uh, so, in in 16, mm-hmm. he tells him, "Son of man, make known to Jerusalem her abominations. Say, thus says the Lord to Jerusalem." Your origin and your birth are of the land of Canaanites. And your father was an Amorite and your mother was a Hittite. Have you ever watched Monty Python's Quest for the Holy Grail? Yeah. And the man is, the Frenchman is standing on the yeah. castle wall Your yelling. mother was a hamster. <laughs> your father stank of elderberry. Yeah, yeah. That, that hit me here. I don't know why. <laughs> Um, but your father was an Amorite and your mother was a Hittite. Yeah. Ooh, burn. Burn. So his point in chapter 16, Alex has got his face in his hands. (laughs) The point in chapter 16 is to say, you were nothing and I made you something. Yeah. To remind them that God went to Abram, Mm -hmm. found him and said, I'm taking you to somewhere you don't belong. And I'll build from from you a great nation. Yeah. And then when they were enslaved in Egypt, God went to them in their, you know, their situation there and brought them out of that. Right. Right. So like his Israel's history is just 
time and time again, God coming to them in their, you know, worthless state and elevating them to a new station. Right. And so, so what happens, there's, there's a blending of three or two different analogies that are going to be used here. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the, the two analogies need to be explained uh, because sometimes people get this wrong and it can have bad consequences. The first analogy that he uses, the first half of the chapter, what he's doing is he's describing Israel as an abandoned child mm. found on the road, yep. uncared for, even to the point like, n- not like cared for for a little bit, but like instantly set aside because he talks about him as a, as a child that never even had its umbilical cord cut. Yeah. Right. Like as soon as you were born, you were born, you were dumped and your parents left. Mm. Um, and and how he, God, nursed them into health. Mm-hmm. And then later he's going to talk about Israel coming of age and God making a covenant with them and as a husband would to a wife. Right. Right. And so so when people when people get this wrong, they don't see what's happening here is the analogy. God is the father of Israel mm-hmm. that has adopted Israel and raised them up. But then there's also an analogy in saying that God is the uh, is the husband of Israel that would take Israel as his bride. Right. Um, that is him using these human relationships, two different human relationships, in such a way as to say, these are the ways in which I have loved you. Yep. It is not to say that God is promoting some sort of incestual like i uh, i found a child it was and i raised it up as its father and then i when it was old enough i married it uh which people have often tried to make this into um which is ridiculous because for chapters and chapters of the law we find out that's not okay no what god like what's happening here is god is using these examples of the most intense and intimate human relationships to as an analogy of his intense and intimate relationship with his people and the fact that they violate that, the fact that he's like, look, I sustained you, Mm -hmm. right? I provided for you. I blessed you with all these things. And what do you do? You turn around, you offer them up to other gods. Right. Right. Like the jewels that I've given you, you've just passed them along to your illicit lovers. Right. Right. That's so it's just a way of, of illustrating the, the, weight of the covenant breaking that Israel's been involved in for centuries. Yeah, and I, I'm not one to talk about uh, how everything in Scripture has to do with the modern church, and everything that happens to Israel is a prophecy of what the church is. I, I, don't, I don't believe that. I think sometimes it is just a historical fact, but I also think that history in and of itself has a means that we should learn from, and, and I think that we as the church also need to understand that Christ came and formed the church from very humble beginnings. Yep. And the church has, over the span of history, received much privilege and has grown and in some cases become very powerful. Yeah. Um, and in churches, there are churches that are wealthy. Hmm. Um, and there are churches that have taken that and forgotten that it was God that had brought them to that place. Mm-hmm. And they have gone after the things of this world, the influence and the praise of the world. Yeah. And for that, should take the teachings of Ezekiel to heart. Yeah. To say, God will not stand for this forever. He didn't for Israel and he won't for you. Yeah. 
Yeah, one of the things that happens here is God's presence departs from the temple. He right. leaves the temple. Because of all this betrayal, he leaves it. Oh, and one of the things that he sees is he sees them worshiping false gods using their using God's temple. Yeah. Solomon's temple to worship false gods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe like forget the high places. Mm-hmm. Let's just do it right here. Yeah. This yeah. place is nice. And so so God's presence departs that. And I think what you were saying about the church is the idea of we have this analogy in the book of Revelation about the lampstands in the churches, mm-hmm. right? And they, they, when they when they no longer remain faithful to their Lord, that lampstand can be removed. Right. Right. And I think so. I think that's the teaching application here is like if, if we as a church abandon our faithfulness to God, mm-hmm. he can just he can just remove himself. Right. Yeah. It's not this building or our you know system of governance that makes this church a church. It's the very like presence of God that exists as we come together and as we worship and as we minister. And if we're not willing to to follow him the way that he's called us to, he's he'll just show himself out. Yep. And we would end up then being a lampstand without a lamp. That's right. Uh, and uh, and yeah, so it, it's important that we always remember those origins. And I, and I think what happens is, is sometimes people come in and they'll be like, so you guys are being hypercritical. You're saying that that church is not really following God, but look at how they are being blessed. Look at how things are going. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong is happening to them. Where, where in that then is justification for your argument? And I, and I would say that that is exactly what was happening in Ezekiel's time. Mm-hmm. It says over and over again that he, God was silent with his wrath, and they said, the Lord will not come against us. Yeah. And so here he comes, right? God sees what goes on in secret. He knows the heart of man, mm-hmm. and he will not be mocked. Um, highlight. I know we. I know we've jumped a lot of stuff, yeah. but we're we're thirty minutes in. Yeah. So there's a couple things early on uh, in chapter two and three about the call of Ezekiel that I found really compelling. Okay. Um, Ezekiel two five, and whether they hear or refuse to hear mm. for their rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And then he says, you know, don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of their words. And then in the following chapter, right, after God has kind of tasked him with this saying, look, whether they listen or don't, you've got your job to do. He tells him he'll be held accountable if he doesn't do that. Right. Right. If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die and you give him no warning nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life. That wicked person will die for his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Mm hmm. That's heavy. And I don't think, and obviously like Ezekiel fulfilled the role of prophet and he was also a priest. And so he had a particular task and we can talk about how this weighs heavily on us in particular as pastors. Right. I think this generally applies to Christendom. I think there is a responsibility for all believers to warn people. I, I, I genuinely believe that we will be held accountable for not warning people. Mm hmm. Right. Warning people of the judgment that is to come. We have a responsibility to do that. Mm-hmm. Right. You have you have family members and friends and neighbors and coworkers who don't know Christ, who don't know the coming judgment. And you're unwilling to 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 share that with them. And I'm not saying, you know, cut out a, you know, a cardboard placard and walk around the main street every day. But if you're not willing to do that, there's a sense in which like there's an accountability and, and on you. 
Right. Yeah. And, and he, he tells them judgment is coming upon these people one way or the other. Mm-hmm. It's going to happen. Yeah. The question is not whether or not they're going to be judged. The question is whether or not you're going to be responsible for their judgment. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I know how much you like having the more spiritual <laughs> highlight than what I have. So you win again this week. Nice. Uh, because I, I'm going to go with two. Um, one, when he's being told how to make the bread. And he's told to cook it over human dung. Yeah. He sort of throws up his hand in protest and says, can we dial that back a bit? <laughs> and God's, God essentially, the impassable essentially says, yeah, maybe I got carried away. Cow dung. <laughs> and leads it to that and moves on. Right? Uh, so we had, bef- we're not going to have that discussion again, but before this started, we had a discussion of whether or not that was a step up or a step sideways. Uh <laughs> But wherever you stand on that, it, it's definitely not a leap forward. <laughs> uh, but but I like that. Uh, also, in, in Ezekiel chapter 16, after he talks about them coming on as his, as his bride, mm-hmm. then he gets deep into calling them out for prostitution and whoredom mm-hmm. as a bride, that they would prostitute themselves to uh, other nations. And then in, in around 30... Uh, 1630, he stops and he apologizes in in sense to prostitutes and says, wait a minute, wait a minute. I've been saying that Israel was like a prostitute for leaving her husband to, in his words, whore after other men, other nations, other gods. Mm. But but then he, he comes back and he says, but men give gifts to prostitutes, but you gave gifts to your lovers, bribing them to come from every side with your whorings. So you were different from other women in your whoring. No one solicited you to play the role of a whore, and you gave payment. While no payment was given to you, therefore you were different. Right, like so he <laughs> he calls them prostitutes, and then he stops. He's like, "Wait, actually," and no, says, "Wait, no, no, you know what? That's not a good analogy." And I apologize to prostitutes <laughs> for lumping them in with Israel, because what you're doing is far worse. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening. <laughs> Thanks for listening. This podcast is a resource of Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario, and is produced by Alex Walker in cooperation with the Gospel Coalition of Canada. Next week, more Ezekiel. One. See you then. Know the Lord.